Welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. I'm your host, Jim Johnson, and I'll take you behind the brands and we'll look through the barbed wire at some of the most iconic ranches in the world. So sit back, kick off your boots, and prepare to be entertained as I introduce you to those captivating stories from the legends of the brands and where there's no barbed wire that's going to hold us back. Welcome back to another episode of Brands and Barbed Wire. On today's episode, we're going to take an opportunity to hear from one of our sponsors. But before we do that, I want to thank you, the listeners. We're so humbled by all the listeners and feedback we've received so far. Thank you for listening and sharing our podcast. Without you, we really wouldn't have a podcast. We also love getting your feedback. So if you have additional suggestions on how we can continue to grow the podcast, get the word out to even more people, maybe even who we should interview, be sure to go to our website, brandsandbarbwire.com, and leave us some feedback in the Contact Us section. We'd love to hear from you. Continue to like it, send us your reviews, and continue to share it with your friends because that's how we grow. Just wanted to take this opportunity to let you know that we appreciate you listening. Sponsorship is an important part of Brands and Barbed Wire. And we're only looking for a few really good quality sponsors. Today, I'm excited to bring to you one of our first couple sponsors of Brands and Barbed Wire. Brian Mustard brings you gorgeous vodka, cattle bear and cigars, and reminisce Angus. I really think you're going to enjoy his story. And I hope you check out his vodka, cigars, and cattle. And please let him know when you do that you heard about it on Brands and Barbed Wire. To find more about our sponsors, go to our sponsors page at brandsandbarbwire.com. Brian, welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be fun. So, Brian, uh, for some of our listeners who might not know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about Brian and and where you're from and and some things like that. So, I'm from Dillon, Montana. My family and I ranch here and have my whole life. My parents moved out here in 1968 and from Ohio. And my mom's folks were large animal, or actually all animal vets, small and large. My my dad's family were farmer feeders uh, in Delaware, Ohio. They moved out here in 68 and bought a feedlot, brand new feedlot, and that's where we grew up. And then they leased a little ranch and ended up buying it uh, in 1980. And so I have been at the end of a pitchfork, pitching stalls or pitching hay or irrigating or making hay for cows the rest of my life through present day oh wow so your parents moved out there from ohio and and bought the feed yard and how big of a feed yard would it have been and is that was that their main source of income then yeah yeah that was the main source of income they could run about 1500 head in it and it was brand spanking new and so yeah and then they expanded it in the in the late 80s to 2200 and then i Worked there and ended up buying it and expanding it more where we had we had about 3,800 cattle on feed and I had a couple other feed yards close leased uh, and we were running all over and then we finally 
the EPA was kind of closing in. We had a river on one side and subdivisions on three others. And so we moved east of town and built a feed yard that we now feed 6,500 at one time. Um, we'll run about 8,000, sometimes 10,000 head through there, the turnover through the course of a year from Labor Day to the 4th of July. Wow. Okay. So tell us about the ranch. Uh, when you bought the ranch, was it cow-calf, purebred? How did it start out there? I bought the feedlot with a couple of the partners from my parents, and then we were just leasing ground all over. We leased ground for our cow herd as we were growing it. Uh, bought registered cows in 1984. Started a bull test within the feed yard in 1991 when I was a senior in college. I had no idea what I was going to do. I just I just knew that cows were the equation, and just ended up starting a bull test because there was a need for that in my area. With the biggest, with the largest number of cattle in the state and uh, one of the largest counties in the country. I can't give you those exact numbers. We still are pretty high. So I started that and started developing and growing my registered cow herd and selling bulls. And I had, I had written a business plan in college that year that I'd go 10 years or until I got 100 cows. And on year nine, I got 100 cows. And so I stuck to the plan and we ended the bull test and went on with uh, a couple of partners and had our own bull sale bought the feedlot from our parents they were kind of ready to get out of it at that point and continued to lease ground until 2018 where my wife and i bought our first place in 2018 from actually one of our good customers and, and friends oh good so you run purebred Angus cows today? We run about 600 registered Angus cows. Our, our ranch name is Reminis Angus Ranch. Awesome. So Brian, tell us a little bit about, and part of the reason that, that you're on today, obviously, is, is we want to hear from, uh, from one of our sponsors. And you're, you're one of the first to sponsor uh, Brands and Barbed Wire podcast. Tell us about that and how you got in the cigar business and the vodka business. I'm really curious how a ranching kid from Western Montana gets in the cigar manufacturing and vodka manufacturing business. This is going to be an interesting story. I'm really curious too, still. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it was all just part of, uh, we ended up getting in the cigar business and the vodka business prior to even owning our own ranch. We knew, you know, growing up, you don't, you just don't go buy a ranch unless you, and even when we were kids, our, our parents took, not literally, but basically had willow switches and said, you get out of here, go away, go make money, go somewhere else. This is not a place to make money. Go. And I understood that. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go be a vet. And then I didn't want to do that. And then, like I said, in college, I just, I knew it had to be a cow and I stuck with it. But, you know, my wife and I spent most of our lives and a lot of people, you know, you hear that you grow up, there's no money in it. This is bad. It's tough. It's hard. You can't make it without outside money. And we changed our thinking somewhere along the way and decided, hey, wait a minute. That's what the world believes. And we really want to own a ranch. We really want to get there someday. So let's just let's just open our mind. Let's just decide we're going to do it. We don't know when. We don't know how. But stop believing we can't. Because I had up until that point, we had pursued and we were leasing ground and our business was growing. So we knew we could 
we knew we were viable in the, in the industry. So why couldn't we be viable, you know, owning property and what was, what was the block? And just by changing our mindset, we shoot, uh, our son was in, um, Africa in Djibouti special forces in 2012. He got done, called me up and said, Hey, if you can get, you know, mom over here, I can take her on a gorilla track. And, you know, my wife just absolutely loves animals, elephants, gorillas, all of that stuff. And so we got her all set up. We sent her over there and we'd been married over 10 years at that point, 12 years. And I had, I went back and she has two big boxes, uh, ammunition boxes full of all the letters we'd ever written to each other prior to marriage, during everything, every, and I'd never gone back and read them. And I just thought, you know, who, who were these two people when they met? Um, who are they today? And so I, I just sat down two nights in a row and I read all those letters. And lo and behold, the, the morning after the second night of reading those letters, gorgeous vodka just came to my mind. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's interesting. I've, I've always pursued potato vodka because I've had celiac disease my whole life. You know, they discovered that in 1971. And so I'd always been interested in that, but I, you know, I wasn't interested in, making it or being a distiller, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a rancher. I, I just love cows, grass, and water in that order. So I didn't know why gorgeous vodka came to me besides those letters. I mean, it just was, and the rest is history. I mean, we just, we, we jumped into the business. We sat on it for a couple of months. I'm doing books. The design of our, the actual design of our bottle that we have today on the market came to me just as clear as gorgeous vodka came to me. And we just did it. We just thought, okay, we, this is really odd. This doesn't have anything to do with the ranch, but we've decided to have one. So let's, let's just march. And so we did. So at what point did you break the news to your wife? And then, and then what was her reaction when you told her that this kind of came to you? And I, I assume she was all in, but uh, tell us how that happened. Oh, and I told her I'd read all the letters. She was all in. She didn't care about the vodka. <laughs> you know, she's like, wow. You went back and read all those letters and I said, yeah, every one. And so that's, you know, at that point, we both were a little bit bewildered for two months going, okay, well, you know, and it just wouldn't go away. And then when the design of the bottle came to me, so specific, I mean, just like somebody just held it in front of me and said, here, put it in this bottle. I scribbled it out on a piece of paper. I told her about it. And she said, man, we, we, we've just got to do this. So she, she was all in from the beginning. You know, we went just like ranching, very similar. We talked to a lot of people and they were just like, God, unless you've made a ton of money and you're sitting on four or five million bucks and you're bored, don't do this. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> and we weren't. <laughs> we weren't just like ranching. We we're like, well, that's not how we do things. That's not what we have, but maybe this is the avenue to get the ranch. And so... We pursued it and we found a distiller and we went through, you talk about, you know, a school of hard knocks and, and learned our way. But I was born a perfectionist, very, very picky. I didn't just want, we just decided, you know, we're not going to be, to go back again. You can't be in the cow business. You can't be, you can't be especially in the registered business and especially take it even higher in the Angus business in Montana. It's like a, the mafia. I mean, the whole world comes to Montana to buy Angus bulls. Again, unless you're bored and you have a pocket full of money, and I have outlasted numerous dozens of those people in this industry, a lot of people with money 
want to get in that business and they spend millions of dollars and they get in and then they realize, wow, this is tougher or more than what I thought or, and they lose interest. And we have figured out how to create a measurable difference in our cattle and that's how we survived. And when we got in the vodka business, I didn't just want to achieve vodka with my name on it because there was thousands and thousands of vodkas out there. And so we spent two years pursuing that, finding that. I found a distiller that would do it to our specs. It was really high end. We've turned it into five international tasting competitions and we've got gold medals at all five of them. Wow. That's impressive. So when when would this have been, Brian? This would have been in 2013. It was 2012. So 2014 is when we put our, our actually March 14th in 2014, we, we poured vodka in our first bottle. We hired distributors. We hired people all over and realized that, you know, it's a big challenge. There's a lot of, re- people think there's a lot of regulations and stuff and the government makes it really hard. The government's pretty easy if you want to get in the vodka business. It's the big distributors. The big distributors are like the big packers in the meat industry. They own it. They control it. And if they're willing to let you play, if you want to bring your stuff out and you can survive long enough and get successful, a lot of times they'll buy you out. And we heard that and we're like, well, that almost sounds like we want to do. So we've been kind of flying under the radar on that. We entered, you know, we kind of thought if you make the best vodka in the world and you got five gold medals, everybody's going to want to buy it and it's going to be great. And found out the hard way that's not the case. You've got to have millions of dollars to advertise that because the store owners don't care if they're selling your vodka or somebody else's. They want those consumers to know exactly what they want, come in, grab it, get out the door, and, and that cash register that ka One in 20 stores will get behind you. They like your brand, and they'll point it out, and they'll they'll recommend it and stuff. And that's it's been a challenge. And we've had the big boys shut us down a couple different ways. There was some bit, a lot of interest. You know, the bottle was fantastic, is fantastic, and the quality is fantastic. But they kind of keep their thumb on you. So we've been able to fly under the radar. We're still in business. We're selling vodka in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York City, which is the three toughest markets in the country. It's literally impossible to get into Pennsylvania and we're there. And it's not because we have a lot of money, because we have a great, great product. So curious. And I think, you know, in some of the previous podcasts, we talk about different things in the cattle business and and having the right plan and and timing not be right and and you you don't succeed right and and sometimes you you might not have the best plan but timing's really good and and uh and you succeed and it seems like in today's time with craft breweries different people making bourbons and vodkas and and people people seem to be at a point where they're willing to not necessarily go to the name brand the the ones you know that that everybody recognizes but maybe to try something a little different is is that sort of what you're seeing maybe with with today and and how this um vodka business is or are are some of these local ones being more popular there's opportunities for that i think our achilles heel is we've been using borrowed money to ranch and then you're using excess borrowed money from the success in the feedlot and the ranch to start a vodka deal. And then you're, you know, you've got to really watch, you know, cause the, with the droughts in the market, all oh, your excess can get 
zapped in six months. And then you're, you're, you know, and so we just didn't have, don't have yet the force sales force to be out on the road and develop those relationships. But it is growing because more and more people continue to hear about the vodka and say, where do I get it? And we keep pointing them out in directions. There's actually a new uh, website to just buy American products. And there's, we're going to put our vodka on there and our cigars. It's Mammoth Nation. And that's growing pretty fast. And so, you know, it, it's it's about the only platform we've had where you can just sell direct to a consumer. So we're working on that today. Yeah, well... We're happy to introduce Gorgeous Vodka to the brands and barbed wire listenership today, and hopefully we'll uh, get some business headed your way, too, from, from that. How would, how would someone or one of our listeners, if they wanted to check it out and go order it, how would they find out about it? Uh, you can go to mammothnation.com. There's some contact information there and request Gorgeous Vodka there. Liquor stores can sell it direct to consumers so in in uh, montana wyoming like i said new york new jersey pennsylvania any of those areas we're just about set up in florida where they can order direct from a distributor and that's the best way to get product anymore i mean the whole world is using amazon and we've tried to go through the brick and mortar and there's just a lot of there's a lot of bricks to lift and so getting it to one place where we can ship it to 39 states out of florida through mammoth nation is the way to go excellent if they wanted more information about the product do you have a website for it it's gorgeousvodka.com and you can get on there and we can direct folks to where they can buy it was the vodka before the cigars then yeah it was so the vodka came before the cigars and my daughter had always stopped in cigar shop she was going back and forth she does a lot of artwork and stuff and back and forth between la and montana and would always stop at a cigar shop and and grab me cigars and met a guy there that actually raised wagyu cattle made rum and made cigars really and so she was telling them all about our ranch and and it was one of them that we leased and a year later in 2015 actually you know that was in 2014 too he uh, he just called and said, hey, I want to come see this place. Your daughter describes it as the most beautiful place on earth, and I think I've seen most of them. And he came up and spent three days with us, and we were calving and tagging out in the hills and really enjoyed himself. And I I had asked him, I said, you know, and I had tried one of his cigars before. It was really good. And I said, you know, we give cigars away at our bull sale every year. Is there any, you know, is there a possibility of giving our own away? And he said, well, we don't really do that. We just kind of, we're a small company. We only do our own. And we actually lease space from in a, inside of another warehouse and they let us do our own thing. And so he called this guy and he was on the phone and you could kind of, it was one of those conversations where, you know, you're holding the phone away from your ear a little bit, and you know, what's going on. And so I asked him, I said, well, what do you, what do you say? And he said, well, yeah, we can do it. I said, okay, how many cigars do I got to order? And he said, 2,500. I was like, wow, you know, I don't even know enough people to give that many away in my lifetime. I was just, that number was overwhelming. I said, all right. So I flew to Vegas, met the guy who was Phil Zangie. Uh, I've been in the cigar business for a long time. He actually came up with a couple of the uh, blends for Rocky Patel's early cigars in 1992 vintage, and they were partners for a while. 
and then split. And so very well, very well founded in the cigar business. Knows, knows a lot of the guys that have been there, you know, lifetime, got to be friends with them. So I met him. He just gave me six cigars and said, here, here you go. You know, and it's just kind of like, here, pick one of these and we'll, we'll do your little thing. You know, So <laughs> I emailed him back and, you know, he called and I said, no, I don't really like those. They're six. And he said, okay, that was, I'll send you six more. Tell me a little bit more about what you like. So I, I had kept a spreadsheet on cigars, just like I do cattle. And I didn't even know any of the names and cigars. I didn't know anything about the business. I just, I just picked flavor and how easy were they to draw and how is the ash on it? And does it stay lit with neglect is what I called it. You know, if we're weighing cattle or sorting cattle, could I settle on a fence post or settle inside the scale house and come back in and get a puff? And I just had fun with it. I wrote down where the wrappers were, where the, what, what countries it came from. And so then I hit the sort button. And of course, I, uh, my top five cigars all had a Nicaraguan Habano wrapper on it. So I send that to him and I said, well, that's, I don't know much more about it than that. That's obviously I like this. I said, I've, I've had the Monte Cristo number two cigar. It's my favorite cigar. I know you can't buy it in the country, but I've had friends come back from, from Europe and, and that's what I want to make. And he said, well, we can't make that, but we'll try to get close. So, you know, just wanted some of that was really raisiny, nutty flavor. Um, when you smell the end of a cigar, the foot before you light it, a lot of cigars smell the same. They smell really good. That pre-lit aroma is just fantastic. It's what the cows like about burnt grain hay. You know, it smells like tobacco. And then when you light them, they change big time. And so I, I said, I don't want mine to change. I want it to, I want the smoke. I want the flavor of that to smell just like that, hold that pre-lit aroma. And so he sent me six more and I called and he was pretty excited and went, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't, I don't like these either. <laughs> you know, this is, this is nine months later. And he's like, look, he said, we don't do this. My boss says I have to make you a cigar. Don't, I've sent you 12 cigars. You don't like them. You come down to the Dominican. You can go through all our warehouses. You can pick tobacco from all over the world. Let's you and I come up with something. I said, okay. He said, but, cause I got to end this project. So my wife and I went down there. And we spent a week down there. We went through the fields. We went through the fermenting houses, the factory. We rolled and smoked. I don't know how many different things inside of there. And then we get to the table and he lays out six cigars and we're inside the rolling room building and a long board table. And he says, okay, this is it. You find one of these. <laughs> You've got the five. You don't find anything here today. We're done. I said, fair <laughs> enough. I lit the first one, which is now our currently our trail boss cigar. I took one puff. I smelled it. I took one puff and I said, there it is. I said, I've been looking for that for 20 years. That's my cigar. And he said, well, you got to smoke it all. And then you're smoking all, all six of them today. We're here for four hours. So I said, <laughs> all right. So we, we sat there for four hours and we smoked them all. And, and we got to the end and he said, well, what do you think? And I said, I want number one's it. That's, that is it. And his guy beside him, Pedro, was just shaking his head and looking at him. And Phil looked at him and he smiled and he just was, he shook his head and turned around. And, and he said, well, what'd you think of the other ones? I said, well, two was, two was a pretty close second. Three was, you know, if we had to, I'd do three. He said, well, what about the other three? Like, the last three? I said, well, those just taste like ones you'd already sent me. And he said, those were ones I already sent you. I was just testing you. So 
that was fun that day. Come to find out, we had come up with that blend. Our blend was really good. And Pedro, they, he and Pedro had talked about it. And Pedro's like, why are you giving him this blend? Why would you do this? <laughs> why don't we take that and do something with it? And he said, no, this is, this is what it is. And so that was our blend. And it was fun to go down there and go through that process, spend that much time, a year and a half, going back and forth and learning just being able to pull, like I said, with the vodka, with the cows, just being a perfectionist. I didn't just want my name on a label of a cigar and smoke it and hand it out. And I knew that it was all going to be with borrowed money. It had to be right. And I, that's one model I understood growing up is everything in the cow business was borrowed money. And you had to make pretty good decisions because you can't outguess the weather. You can't outguess the markets. You better be lucky more than, you know, more often. And so I've kind of understand that game. And so that's why I worked so hard on the vodka had to be the best vodka in the world. People who drank the best vodka in the world had to say that is very good. People who smoke really good cigars had to smoke our cigar and say that's a really good cigar. And my, we've had several reviews, over a half a dozen international reviews, and we're all five of our cigars are rated 90 to 93 by, by professional reviewers all across the country that review cigars all over the world. Several of them refer to it in reviews, and my favorite review, actually, which is unsolicited, is every Cuban man over 70 that I've been to in a cigar event or a tasting or whatever has come up to me before they left the show and will say, good job. This tastes like the Monte Cristo number two, or they'll say this tastes like the Monte. And that to me is a home run. Cause that's what I was after. That's what you were after. Wow. Well, that's a great, great story. I mean, that's uh, just fun to listen to. I didn't, um, I wondered how someone in the cattle business gets in the cigar business and, and even the vodka business. I mean, those are both interesting stories. So yeah, those are sort of 2014, 2015, 2016, and now it's grown. And you said you bought the ranch in 2018. Was that with help from vodka and cigars or tell us about how that no. came about? <laughs> that was our plan. We started thinking, Hey, great. These are, you know, we made, the, we made, Gold metal vodka, we've made a 90-plus rating cigar, surely that this is going to fund the ranch, and they didn't. Again, it was all on borrowed money, and we're tiny, tiny. I mean, we're not even a, uh, you know, you're a, you're a hair on a head in both those businesses. And so, no, they're still having to pay their own bills and and still trying to get a foothold. to solve our, our customers, that once they've tried either one of those products, when they drink the vodka, or smoke our cigars, they're hooked and they're loyal. They really love it. And that's been our advertising when people try it. Because we're not an icon. We're not an icon in the business yet. But we are depending on and, and what has happened in our cow business. Our, I wasn't born an icon in the registered Angus business. I had to become successful. I had to prove a measurable difference and get opportunities with different people who shopped at all the icons. And we did that. And we've been extremely successful in uh, the registered Angus business. And so, again, I go back to that's the model I understand. And 
our overnight success takes 20 years. I don't know how many times I've heard that from people who are icons. They'll share the story of their parents or their grandparents. And I feel like what we do, we pioneer just about everything we do. And so the the synchronies between the three of them continue to work together, which is pretty exciting. What the cigars and vodka did for the, and I, to answer your question, so no, they didn't fund any, they haven't funded anything. They're just funding, they're just funding themselves. We had an opportunity. Again, we've been leasing ranches for 30 years. We had, we had, I have gone up to, I don't know how many people that were selling out and, and tried to buy places. And the bank says, and you know, very few people want to finance you. The bank says you got to come up with 40%. Land values are are through the roof. And so, you know, just kind of being right on the end of going, boy, this is never going to happen. doesn't look like it unless cigars and vodka get us there. You know, and it's it's a challenge, you know. I don't know how many conversations my wife and I had have gone to. We want to work this hard and fix everybody else's places only to pay more in rent, only to lose more to somebody else gets to lease it because we've fixed it and we've irrigated it better. And it just seems like it's, you know, you're just treading water. When are you going to get tired of treading water? And we found out that some longtime customers of ours, some people we had known and were acquaintances with were selling their ranch. And we just went up and asked them what the price was and asked them if they'd finance it. And they said, yes. And we worked out a deal and it was just a lifetime dream come true. It's a gorgeous place. It's right on the Lewis and Clark Trail. They had lunch right where our house, where we put our house. And our son had bought part of it. And if he hadn't bought part of it, you know, we wouldn't have been able to buy the rest of it. So just all the things that had to line up. It's still, again, it's financed. Again, it's on borrowed money. And if we don't have a plan, if we don't know how to pay the interest, if we if we don't have the ability to make the payments and sell our bulls for more money and feed more cattle than our competitors. None of it works. And so as many times as I've always sat back and going, gosh, I wish I had a pocket full of money. I wish I just once I would have had a pocket full of money to make it easier on my kids and my, and my wife and everything. The, the challenges that we've had to overcome are just, fascinating we would have never learned how to do that we'd have never learned how to become the best and you got to be the best to just survive a lot of times and now we're thriving in our feedlot and our in our angus business but we had to learn to become better and if you have money you don't have to learn how to become better you can just buy a better way i've met a guy in the cigar business he was a retired rancher, sold his ranch, had a lot of money, old-time family. I was just down there doing cigars and absolutely walked into one of his hotels and restaurants, and he was there, and we had lunch, and he bought me lunch. He said, I didn't have 20 years to get successful. I just bought my way into it. It's unfortunate for people who don't have to struggle, who don't have to learn, who don't have to be better, and not in a competitive way. You know, it's it's never about, well, I'm better than you. It's it's about you're looking at your competition and you sit around and look at people who are successful and then just sit back and go, why is that person successful? If they're at a higher benchmark and I need to be there to survive, what are they doing? And you don't ever go after them or attack them or attack anybody doing business with them. You just figure out what's that synergy there. And so all those lessons that I've learned has really helped us 
in the cattle business. And one of our partners in 1992, I met a guy that came out here. He's buying cattle. He was a farmer feeder. And he said, you know, all you guys, all you ranchers care about is how big your calves are. And he said, somebody has to eat this when it's done. And you guys don't even care if it tastes good or not. They can go buy fish. They can go buy chicken. They can buy anything. They don't have to buy beef. And he, when I hang a carcass on a grid, he said, if it's not high choice or choice, you know, or prime, I'm losing money. And if it's select, if it's lean, I'm losing 200 bucks a head. And that really made me think. And again, it was another life lesson of, wow, so people, consumers aren't beholden to us. Every consumer doesn't just look at us and go, wow, you're a rancher and I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat it. Whatever you put on the table, it's going to be the best no matter what. And it's not true. And so that really helped us. That was the measurable difference. That's where we, I cut my teeth and, and broke away from the Angus industry was there was a big, a big, uh, I'll call it a civil war within the the industry, the beef industry, that you either got to go down the carcass road or you got to stay on the performance road. And all the big time performance guys were saying, if you try to add focus on carcass traits, you'll go broke. Your cows won't be fertile. I mean, they just made up the worst case scenario. And, and the, the other side was like, you know, we got to focus on the consumer. And so it was, it was kind of an either or typical condition of humanity. And so I just kind of shot for the extreme middle. I thought, well, I have some really good cows out here that I really like and they're great dispositions and perfect udders and flesh and ability. And I like them. They raise nice calves. Let's get some data on them and find out do they have marbling? Are they going to be better? And we identified some. And so then we just started going down that road and we talked to, we went to one of the biggest packers in the country and said, what do we need to do? And they helped us um, get bigger ribeyes and more red meat so we're not selling fat. And so we broke out and we, again, just kind of like our vodka deal, kind of like our cigars deal. We were kind of flying under the radar, learning about our herd, figuring out what we had to do, and sharing that information with our customers. And what our customers were sharing with us is, look, we don't know where our cows are. We think we have the greatest cows in the world, but we don't know Everybody promises us carcass data. They promise us feedlot data when they buy our calves and nobody delivers. So again, we went to the bank, we borrowed money. We started partnering with, we've partnered with all kinds of feedlots, tried to get the carcass data back, the feedlot data back. And same story, we risk a lot of money. We lost some money and we sorted through, we sorted through dozens of feedlots and got to one that they were honest. They understood the importance of it. They gave us the data back and they would rather buy a predictable, repeatable product, an animal, a healthy one, than go out and guess the market. We're still doing business with that feeder today. And we started delivering data back to our bull customers. And that's when our bull sales jumped significantly. And like the cigars, like the vodka, our bull customers were our advertisers. We really, I mean, we really concentrate on service. It's just service, service, service in the bull deal where 
you make sure you have good cows, you make sure they have good udders, disposition, performance. We measure everything to the hilt more than anybody else. And our customers tell other people that. They tell their neighbors that, and their neighbors are having problems, and then they come to us. And so our our we have one of the highest bull sales. We're probably in the top ten, I would say, in fifteen western states. And that's kind of what really helps our program. And that actually, you know, we were really successful. We're good in cattle. We're giving everybody our data back. And then all of a sudden we hit the ceiling. Our cattle are doing fantastic. They're grading high choice. They're grading prime. They're grading 95 to 100% choice and prime. But yet there was only so much money in it. And then I've listened my whole adult life on the Packers are stealing everything. And you got to get past the Packers which is similar to the vodka business. You got to get past the distributors if you have a good product, if you want to make any money. So through the cigar deal, we've got, and through the vodka, through a couple of distributors, they were, they'd introduced us to some people that said, hey, you actually, you're an actual rancher. How do we get your meat on the market? And so it took us five years of going back and forth and, and getting things going and finding a, uh small custom packer that would do a custom kill for us and yet big enough that we could send semis to New York City and Houston and Chicago and then COVID hit, set us back two more years. And finally last year in April, on the 14th of April, we sent our first two semi loads of cattle through a packing house, had them custom processed for them and, and shipped the meat to Long Island, New York. And that was through a vodka distributor that we have there. We would have never been able to deliver meat through the beef industry. They want Everybody wants to keep you in your place. This is your hamster wheel. You stay over here. I'll take it from there. Yeah, that's interesting. So d- are you selling that under under a brand under your brand or under a, another brand or or do you have you come up with something on your on your beef before i ever got in the beef industry or even in the vodka i've always wanted to have reminisce angus beef and i've always just i played a commercial in my head for years and years and years just remember remember when times were slower remember when you you know days were longer and you you put in physical work and there was a a roast slow cooking all day and baked potatoes and you enjoyed things more. And, you know, I had that running through my head 20 years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the name of our ranch, Reminis uh, Angus and our beef product. We sell it as Reminis Angus beef. And now we're slowly growing that. We started with one outfit in in New York and just with the inflation and the trucking and everything, it just got to be impossible. They were taking everything. They were taking we were processing 80 head a month and they were taking it all. And then it just got a little stickier. And so I actually hired a guy, a retired guy um, out of Cargill. He was our number one meat salesman for the company for 23 years. He was a head guy. And a friend of mine had introduced me to him and, and he agreed to work for us. And, and he, without him, you know, we'd have never even made it. We wouldn't have survived one day. Just didn't have a clue. Wanted to do it, but we had it figured out. All we got to do is kill these cattle. You know, every rancher thinks that the 800-pound carcass is just one big ribeye steak, and it's worth 14.99 a pound. 
and you get in the beef business, you, you, you realize that that's, that's not even a good story to tell. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people involved, just like in the cigar deal, just like in the, the vodka deal. There's a lot of people that touch that and handle that and haul that and distribute that between you and the consumer. And you got to pay everybody. And typically the producer, whether you're producing cigars, cattle or vodka, you know, you're putting pennies of margins on there and your retailers are, you know, they're marking it up, you know, they double the price on it. Um, and so there's a challenge to it, but we're, we're successful. We're doing extremely well. Um, just surviving in this, I didn't even get business cards when we got into meat business. I thought if I survive a year in this thing, I'll make 50 business cards. And so when we crossed April this year, I had my secretary get us some business cards and now we're getting some new outlets. We're shipping our stuff to California, Chicago, Houston, back to Montana, uh, South Dakota, uh, just opening up another distributor in Florida and in Dallas. And so it, it's slowly growing. Uh, we're really happy with that, but everything we've talked about today, that's a long way around to grow your beef business. Through the cigars <laughs> <Wow>. and the vodka. <laughs> it's pretty unique, too. I don't think anybody else started out in cigars and, and vodka before they got in the meat business. But uh, so what's what's next is is you're going to focus on those three or do you have uh, do you have another dream or vision that uh, that you're going to work on next? Well, I want to get I want to keep those three stable. We have the opportunity to really bring our meat up and, and get that to it's a high end. It's it's a high choice product. It's predictable. It's repeatable. We've we've sent cattle, the same pen of cattle, to feedlots in Idaho, Colorado, Kansas. Sent them to three different packers. Got the data back on the same year, and it's I mean it's within one percent or two percent of everywhere. It's 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 so uniform, and so we know we can deliver that anywhere we want to go. Uh, we want to grow that. We want it to become a a name that uh, that people become loyal to, like our like our vodka. I mean, it's it's kind of funny that we've been in the beef business. I grew up on a ranch and in a feedlot, and I want my I want my beef consumers to be as loyal as my vodka and cigar consumers. Just you know, it's funny to even hear that coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's right. I mean, we had um, Dr. Larry Cora on a few podcasts ago, and 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 what's fascinating, I think people. Um, and, and even I was having a discussion recently with someone and he's like, yeah, you're going to saturate this, this prime and, and upper choice market. You know, as you, as you continue to increase the number of cattle that qualify for that, you know, you're going to saturate it, but that's not what we're seeing as, as the, as the choice and prime market increase. So is the demand for beef. And I think that's a great story to to have now. As we increase the quality of this beef, we get more and more people eating it because you can't eat pork and you can't eat chicken with that kind of quality. And and the United States is is really the quality marketplace in the world. And I think that's a that's an awesome story. And I think you know your success in that business is is reflective of that. Well, I agree. A hundred percent. I had a conversation with our feeder, the one, the longtime feeder we're still doing business with in 2010 or 11. Same thing. We'd just gone through, we were in the middle of that recession coming out and high choice and prime were really getting hit hard. And I said, the only thing I see coming out of this is 
we're not they i mean they they zapped our premiums they went from we went from five bucks five cents a pound which we call it five bucks in the in the beef industry on an 800 pound carcass for your premium for cabs down to 50 cents and he said we can't make a living at that and i said well the only the only thing i see out of that is if more people are eating cab upper two-thirds choice rather than choice and more people are eating prime because it's discounted more people are going to eat beef, continue to eat beef, and our base should go up. And that's what you just described has happened. Yep. And it doesn't look like, I mean, last year it was as big a spread as maybe in history. And, and it doesn't look like there's an end in sight. And I think that's incredible for, for our business and the people that are producing quality beef in our, in our country. And, and I appreciate the, you know, the mindset of, producing quality vodka and, and quality cigars as well, because I think quality still sells here in this country. It's the only way of what I have learned. And I haven't figured out that magic thing where you just get rich quick, but it's, if you're borrowing money to do anything, to start a business, if you don't have quality, you're toast. There is no, there's, there's no hope. That's the only thing that'll keep you in. And sometimes it's just paying the bills. Sometimes it's just keeping the lights on, but you will stay in it if you have a quality product and it sometimes it feels slow and sometimes it's painful, but it is very rewarding and quality does always pay. Yep. I think that's right. Well, Brian, as we wrap up here, I appreciate your time today and, and I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy uh, getting to know you and your story and can relate to it. But tell us one more time where people can find more information about Gorgeous Vodka, Cattle Baron Cigars, and uh, Reminisce uh, Angus Ranch. So Reminisce Angus Beef, uh, we don't have a website for that. You can get on our Reminisce Angus website. That's just remangus.com. There's a tab for the beef there. We don't sell it direct. We're selling it to restaurants. We're selling it to mainly distributors and grocery chains. You know, we're at this point, we're to make it work on a, on our level. You've got to sell it by the pallet load to get cigars. We can sell cigars direct to anybody. Just get on cattlebearandcigars.com. We're revamping that page a little bit to get a buy now button on there because we're pretty committed to brick and mortar. And we only sell to folks where if there's not a store carrying our cigars in their area, we'll sell to them. But we never sell in an area that has a store there. And we've made that commitment and we'll stick with it. But cattlebearandcigars.com and then gorgeousvodka.com. There's emails on both of those where you can get a hold of us and we can get you directed to where to find the product. And you, you won't be sorry. They are, they are high end. I'm sure we'll be anxious to try some. Uh, I will put all of those in the show notes. And so we'll have links to, to all those places uh, that, that we discussed in the show notes so people can, can go there. It'll be on our website at brandsandbarbwire.com. So, uh, Brian, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, much success in the future. And we're looking forward to a partnership with Brands and Barbwire where we, we both grow together. And we appreciate that and appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Jim, for reaching out. It's, it's shows like this and, and willing to work with us and, and budgets um, that'll help us grow. So I, I, I'm looking forward to the same thing, too. We both grow and benefit. And people enjoy what they get. Exactly. Exactly. And when, and same thing here, when we were trying to put out a quality podcast and, and, uh, with quality people and quality advertisers, and that's, uh, that's, we're glad you're a part of it. So 
thank you and, and we wish you best of luck brian same to you jim for our producer carlos cheraboga i'm your host jim johnson god bless and thank you for listening to brands and barbed wire the brands and barbed wire podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts please subscribe rate review and share you can also find additional content at our Brands and Barbed Wire Facebook page and at brandsandbarbedwire.com. We hope you enjoyed Brands and Barbed Wire. Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by JMR Genetics, cattle made to grow and grade. The annual quality over quantity bull and heifer sale will be held October 15th. Visit jmrgenetics.com for more information.